Blog right. Talk Radio. All right, so we're broadcasting now live on Blog Talk Radio as well. Welcome to the African History Network show. It is Sunday, January 30th, 2022, and we are live. Calling number uh, on today's show, calling number is 914-338-1375. 914-338-1375. Okay, press the number one key uh, to put you in the queue. So we can bring you on the air. Normally, like I said, we're on uh, 9, 10 a.m. Superstation WFDF um, on Sundays and, and Monday through Friday as well. But um, the radio station is um, they're down for the day. They're doing some maintenance. So no live show. So we're broadcasting here. So in addition to uh, the Janet Jackson documentary, also, I was on Roland Martin Unfiltered on Friday, January 29th. And uh, I want to deal with this story dealing with um, African-American farmers. Now, we've talked, we've talked about the plight of African-American farmers uh, for a number of years here on the African History Network show. Uh, but, the, but John Boyd, who's president of the, of the uh, National Black Farmers Association, talked about um, PepsiCo. And John Boyd is calling out PepsiCo for all talk and no contracts when it comes to national black farmers members, all talk and no contracts when it comes to national black farmers members. And this deals with a verbal agreement that it appears that uh, Pepsi is backing out of to give contracts to uh, black farmers to grow potatoes. All right. So uh, we'll talk about this as well. We discussed this uh on Roller Martin and filtered with uh, John Boyd. You've heard us talk about John Boyd before, president of the National Black Farmers Association. And this is one of the reasons why we have to leverage our economics to enforce our politics. This deals with renegotiating our relationship with corporate America, which is something that uh, you've heard me talk about here on the show before and it's something uh, one of my teachers, Dr. Claude Anderson, deals with, renegotiate, renegotiating our relationship with corporate America. So we'll discuss this uh, as well. Um, and then uh, I want to squeeze in this other uh, story, very, very interesting story dealing with history. I po- we posted about this on our Facebook fan page, The African History Network, The African History Network. Uh, it deals with Samuel L. Jackson. And uh, there was a, an article from Watch the Yard, from Watch the Yard uh, dot com that deals with how uh, Samuel L. Jackson was expelled from Morehouse College for holding Martin Luther King Jr.'s father hostage. And this dealt with the protest uh, at Morehouse in the 1960s that centered around uh, the students at um, Morehouse fighting for uh, black studies classes, okay? So we're going to deal with this story. We posted this a few days ago on our Facebook fan page, the African History Network, and uh, this story got a huge response also, okay? And then um, a few days ago, uh, oh, this other story here that I'm gonna, I want to squeeze in. Uh, we talked about this on Roland Martin Unfiltered on Friday. So a lot of people remember, uh, well, first of all, back in 2020 or 2021, Back in 2021, you remember Major League Baseball moved the All-Star game from Atlanta because of the um, 
voter suppression bill, Senate, uh, Senate Bill 202, okay? They moved the uh, all-star game out of protest against the voter suppression bills. Well, now you have some faith leaders, including Reverend William Barber, who are calling on uh, the NFL to move the Super Bowl, okay, calling on the NFL to move the Super Bowl out of Arizona in protest of um, uh, voting rights, okay? And uh, Kirsten Cinema, Senator Kirsten Cinema, not voting to uh, change the filibuster. Uh, faith leaders call on NFL to move 2023 Super Bowl out of Arizona over state threats to voting rights, okay, or out, is out of state threats to voting rights as well, but also is dealing with uh, Senator Kirsten Cinema, even though she voted the John Lewis Voting Rights Act and the Freedom to Vote Act, she voted against uh, changing the filibuster rules, any changes to the filibuster rules. A group of more than 200 faith leaders from across the U.S. have called on National Football League Commissioner Roger Goodell to pull the 2023 Super Bowl out of Arizona over the state's restrictive voting laws and attempts uh, among Republican state legislators to overturn election results and consolidate power. So this was an article from uh, Yahoo News. We talked about this on uh, Roland Martin Unfiltered on Friday. And I'm going to let you hear some of that conversation. Because, and this is something that definitely needs to happen, but it should be more than just faith leaders um, involved in this fight and calling attention to this. Now, I'm somebody... I may be, I'm, I'm probably biased because I haven't watched the NFL game since Colin Kaepernick, Colin Kaepernick left the league. Okay. I think that was 2017. I haven't watched the NFL game since Colin Kaepernick left the league. So I know the Bengals are going to the Super Bowl first time in 33 years. Who gives a damn? I don't care. I saw the headlines. I get headlines. All, I get news alerts all day on my phone from multiple news sources, but I'm not watching the Super Bowl. I don't watch any NFL games. Um, so, yeah, the yes, this protest should take place. And the NFL should move the Super Bowl out of Arizona. And remember, Arizona was the last state to recognize Dr. King Day also. Um, and, and you remember the song, By the Time I Get to Arizona, back in the uh, 1990s by uh, Public Enemy. It was a protest song because Arizona would not recognize Dr. King Day as a federal holiday. But also, we should be putting economic pressure on the advertisers of the Super Bowl and the NFL and things like this. Why are you silent when it comes to voting rights? Why, why, why are you silent when it comes to getting the John Lewis Voting Rights Act bill passed? 68 70% of the NFL is African-American. So we have to leverage our economics to enforce our politics. So we'll talk about this, and then I want to try to squeeze in uh, the last uh, the last story dealing with um, in uh, June of nineteen forty one, June of 19, uh, January sorry January twenty fifth, nineteen forty one. A. Philip Randolph called for a uh, march on Washington against President Roosevelt. Okay, 
And I was trying to get to that story a couple of days ago, but we didn't have a chance to, to get to that story. All right, so we're going to squeeze that in on today's show. All right, now on the African History Network show, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world because right now it's correct your own behavior. What you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you have been taught about yourself. What you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself. So when you control the radius of a man or woman's thoughts, you control the circumference of his or her actions because the mind can't do or teach what it doesn't know. Now, we deal with a number of different topics here on the African History Network show. We deal with current events and history and politics, education, economic empowerment, entrepreneurship, relationships, love, sex, health issues, and much, much more. Sign up for our email newsletter. Text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T, to 22828. To sign up for our email newsletter, also visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. You can sign up for our email newsletter there as well at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. So very quickly, uh, I want to let you, we're going to jump into this first topic here, done with Janet Jackson. And uh, once again, the call-in number is 914-338-1375, 914 Three three eight thirteen seventy five is the call in number. If you have a question or comment, press the number one key to put you in the queue so we can uh, bring you on the air. All right. Um, we'll be back on 9, 10 a.m. Superstation WSDF on uh, tomorrow's show. Okay. So I got to get used to doing all this because I don't have Shakita here or Jalen to operate the boards for me, my board operators. Um for, for the radio station. I don't have them here. It's me doing all this. Okay, so um, our new online courses are up for um, African American History Month at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Uh, they're starting Saturday, uh, February 5th, and uh, Sunday, February 6th. Okay, uh, Saturday, February 5th is uh, class number one, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, where they didn't teach you in school. Uh, this is a 10-week online course. We deal with thousands of years of history and what leads up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. This is going to be 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, uh, Saturdays. Uh, and we do the sessions live. All the sessions are archived and recorded. We have the classes on sale, $80, regularly $130. We have a special bundle pack. You can register for both classes for only $120. Then also from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. Sundays, uh, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. starts up February 6, 2022. Okay, so we'll give you some more information about that. All right, so I want to jump into this, um, this first topic here. Uh, so... You can post your comments here as well. I thought the uh, documentary was very revealing, very well done. It was emotional at times for Janet Jackson. Um, I didn't see a lot of, um, we saw Reby Jackson in it. Didn't see a lot of Latoya Jackson, um, which is a little interesting, but okay, I understand. It was executive produced by Janet Jackson and uh, Randy Jackson. So I was looking at some different articles on it. I, I watched the um, watched the documentaries Friday and Sunday. I mean Friday and Saturday. And um, this uh, Essence dot com has a, a couple of good pieces dealing with this. Uh, one of them from, from Essence deals with um, T 
10 10 things we learned from night one of Lifetime's Janet Jackson Jackson documentary, 10 things we learned from night one of uh, Janet Jackson's documentary. And it's a um, four-part documentary event over the course of two nights. And it's probably Janet Jackson as we have never seen her before, going from childhood to uh, getting into the industry, getting into entertainment, get, uh, getting into singing and dancing, uh, getting into acting as well. I want to pull up this uh, article here from um, Essence.com. Okay, let's see here. I want... Uh, Okay, I want, just a second here, just bear with me. I want uh, the first one from Essence. Also, today.com had a, a, a good piece as well. So if we look at this one here from Essence.com, this deals with night one, what we learned from, uh, some things that we learned from night one of the documentary. All right, let me pull this up, get past all these all these ads. So we found out that um Randy is a, or is a, is uh her closest sibling. Uh let me flip over here to the to this piece from Essence. Um if you've seen interviews with Janet Jackson before, you know that acting is her first love. She liked acting more than singing. But one of the things we found out was that she never actually wanted to be an entertainer. One of the things they dealt with in the, in the documentary is her father, Joe Jackson, who we know passed away. Joe Jackson managing, managing her career, but she also defends Joe Jackson as well because a lot of the um, – a lot of the media over the years had been um, fairly unkind, I think, to Joe Jackson. Um, the same, the same way they had been to uh, Richard Williams, Serena uh, Williams, and Venus Williams' father, also. But one of the things they point out here in this piece from Essence, Janet never actually wanted to be an entertainer. When the Jackson family secured, and I'm going to zoom in on this here, when the Jackson family secured a Las Vegas residency and a later television variety show. Janet Jackson was quickly slotted to sing, to uh, slotted in to sing, dance and act alongside her famous brothers. She says she was never asked, just shoved onto stage at age eight. Okay. Now I don't know how many people knew this, but I remember the one, well, I'm old enough to remember the Jackson's cartoon. Okay, I remember the I remember the Jackson Five cartoon that used to come on, um, and I remember their variety show from the from the seventies, but I didn't know they had a Las Vegas residency. I didn't know that, even though I knew Janet started in the business very young, I didn't know she was never asked if she wanted to do it. She was just shoved on stage. Now later in her teen years, she was again pushed by her father to release an album and tour despite the fact that she actually wanted to get an education and a career outside of entertainment. Cause she talks about, there was an interview that they showed 
and she said she wanted to go to college. Okay, I I never knew any of this. All right, now we know the first two albums, her first two albums, they were like teeny bopper albums. Okay, her first two albums were teeny bopper albums. And she didn't want to record anymore, but she decided if she was going to do this, she wanted to do it her way on her her terms. She teams up with Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, and they come out with the Control album, which, like, totally reshaped everything. Totally. And and you listen to lyrics. Now, I had had Control on 33 and a third. I had the album, the actual album. I mean, they, they still call stuff albums, and it's like digital downloads. No, I had the 33 and a third, the vinyl. Of control, and I think I still have my Rhythm Nation CD somewhere as well. I think it's in one of my crates. So we found out that she wanted to go to college also, uh, and this is like before Control comes out. Now, Joe Jackson kept her from attending college. Okay. Now, once again, this is not what well, the way that one. I think one of the good things because she and Randy were executive producers of the documentary. Um, the documentary, even though it dealt with these different nuances of Joe Jackson, it didn't attack him. It didn't dehumanize him. Okay. After performing on her family's variety show for several years, Janet Jackson had plans of retiring and going to college. She revealed that she wanted to go away to school and major in economics. I never knew this about her. Okay. I just thought she wanted to sing and dance and act and things like this. However, once her brothers severed ties with their father, Joe Jackson, as their manager, he focused all of his energy on her as his next big act. Janet was pushed into recording her debut album, Janet Jackson, in 1982, and her second album, Dream Street, in 1984. Okay, so these were like (laughs) teeny bopper albums, okay? (laughs) And that wasn't really, image was really controlled. So uh, something else that we found out was that she hated her second album, okay? She hated her second album. And under her father's control, uh, Janet had little to no say in the direction of her first two albums. Now, for 1984's Dream Street, and I remember when this came out, okay, Dream Street. It's, about this, it's like the same year that uh, <laughs> Purple Rain came out, so it didn't get a whole lot of attention, all right? <laughs> but for 1984's Dream Street, the sound, the songs, and the look were all selected by those around her and she felt none of it spoke to who she was. Even the album's cover was a photo that she did not like as the final selection. Ultimately, the album turned out to be, um, to, ultimately the album turned out not to be the runway success, the runaway success that Joe Jackson had hoped, giving Janet the prompt to go on in her own direction giving Janet the prompt to go in her own direction like her brothers had before her, okay? So so this is from, um, cover from the second album. Yeah, I think this is the cover of the second album, okay? So it's like, <laughs> all right. <laughs> so 
in the in the movie we see Reby Jackson uh, a lot. I'm mean, in the documentary we see Reby Jackson interviewed a lot as well. They deal with Janet and James DeBarge, and um, I encourage people if you haven't seen the unsung on the DeBarge family. DeBarge is from Grand Rapids. I live in Detroit. DeBarge is from Grand Rapids, Michigan. I never met them, but I mean they had a horrible upbringing because of their abusive white father. The abusive white father, and then in in the unsung on the barge. See, so because when you watch unsung on the barge, you see why they got hooked on drugs. You see why, and it would start led to some of them selling drugs and things like this. They weren't trying to be Nino Brown. They weren't trying to be the biggest drug dealers in Grand Rapids or whatever. No, they were they were dealing with demons because of the abuse of their father. Okay, who was white? Their mother's African American, and then in the unsung on the unsung episode on TV one about the bars, it was revealed, Bunny the Barge revealed publicly for the first time that the father was sexually abusing her also. Now they have some clips of it on um on YouTube. Okay? But you go watch that and then also you watch the Bobby the Barge story that T V one did a couple years ago about Bobby the Barge who's the lead lead singer of Switch, who was and he's the one that really uh uh got the he was the one that really got the the family into music professionally and they were on motown um you watch that you see why i mean it's a wonder the the ones who are still alive are still alive after what they went through it's a wonder they were still alive i mean music was like their only really like their only escape their only refuge i mean it's a the ones that are still alive, it's a, it's a, I mean, you, when you see El DeBarge, and we know El, like he, um, a few years ago, I think he had a relapse or something like that. He had been on drugs, things like this. You see the Bobby DeBarge story, then all that stuff starts coming together. So also, now, let me see. I want to go to, um, we got number five here, and I want to monitor the phone lines. Call the number is 914 338 press the number one key if you have a question or comment uh we'll put you in the queue i want to go to the trailer here very quickly uh okay we've got that right here and just bear with me i'm running everything i'm running the boards i'm running everything uh tonight because we're not on 9, 10 a.m., the Superstation. Um, they are doing maintenance, so there are no live shows. There are no live shows on the radio station tonight. So uh, since we're normally on at this time anyway, I said on Sundays, I said I'm going to go ahead and broadcast. Okay, so let me cue this up. Now, I want to remind you all that uh, we know African American History Month is coming up. And we have uh, two new classes uh, starting up. Visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We have uh, two new classes starting up in February, 10-week online courses that I teach. Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, what they didn't teach you in school. We deal with thousands of years of history, and we deal with what leads up to uh, the transatlantic slave trade taking place. Um, we have a lot of bonus content for you, and you'll get uh, a bonus of 15 uh, lectures from me in digital download format. 
with this bundle pack, okay? So the Michael M. Hotep uh, Black History Month 15 DVD bundle pack, uh, you're going to get that in digital download format. Um, it's going to be some type of digital format. You'll get that with this as well. Okay, so the, uh, this class is on sale, $80, regularly $130. As soon as you register, there's bonus content. You can start watching right away. You can join us in class. Saturday, February 5th, we do this class uh, on Saturdays, 2 p.m. to uh, 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. There may be some days that we go past 4 p.m. You can join us live. All the sessions are archived and recorded. You can go back and watch it any time. And as um, soon as you register, you can start watching content. That's at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. I do a PowerPoint presentation. We have book references, articles, video clips. So this class will blow you away. We deal, we deal with um, ancient Africa, ancient Kemet, Nubia, Ta-Nehisi, uh, Abyssinia, Ethiopia. We deal with things like Ghana, Songhai, Mali. We deal with the 800-year occupation of Europe by the Africans known as the Moors. We go through history chronologically, and we deal with what leads up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place also, okay? All right, so you can register for that class. And the other class that I teach, and let me see, we're going to post a link here, uh, post the information for the class. The other class that I teach, uh, this the other class is going to be on Sundays. Uh, from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. That's going to start up Sunday, February 6, 2022. As soon as you register, you can start watching content. That class is on sale, $80, regularly $130. We have a special bundle pack right now. You can register for both classes for only $120, okay? And with uh, from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement, you get a um, – the Black Migration 1619-2019 uh, six-lecture uh, bundle pack, you get that included with this. It's in digital download format as well. So visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. All right. I want to go to uh, this trailer here for uh, the Janet Jackson uh, documentary. And this gives some uh, some background information in case you haven't seen the documentary as well. Let me back up here. All right, here we go. Now 
So that's the uh, official trailer from the uh, two-night uh, documentary on Lifetime. It, so in, featured in the documentary are, of course, Randy Jackson, her brother, uh, one of her brother's executive producer, uh, along with her. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson, who you heard there in the trailer. Tiana Taylor. Tyler Perry, because you remember Janet Jackson was in. Um, Why Did I Get Married and um, the, the sequel to it. Paula Abdul, Regina King. They deal with movies like Poetic Justice. You have Q-Tip in here. I forgot. I didn't even realize Q-Tip was in Poetic Justice. Maybe I knew it back in the day when the movie came out, but I didn't even realize Q-Tip from uh, De La Soul was in uh, uh, Poetic Justice. So you have the interview Q-Tip, Regina King, who was in uh, Poetic Justice as well, uh, Jermaine Dupri. Um, who was her boyfriend. Um, and then they, one of the things they deal with is uh, her relationship with Renee, who, which I never understood and still really don't understand. Uh, Renee Elizondo, I, I never really understood that relationship. And they, they, they dealt with it and how they um, got together and all that stuff. I still don't understand it. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> um, check out the documentary on uh, Lifetime. Okay, Uh, they talked about her marriage to James DeBarge and his drug abuse, which is once again, I mean, the DeBarge family, very talented family, the drug addiction, uh, largely due to the abuse, uh, stemming from the abuse from the father and the demons that they're dealing with. But they dealt with this. You remember they got married young. They got an annulment after a year. She talked about her marriage to James DeBarge quickly ended due to his drug abuse, you know, which is which is really sad. Uh, is a picture of them back in the day. Um, and I think a lot of people, you know, 
them to have a successful marriage, wanted, were rooting for them, but probably thought they were like too young to get married. Uh, <laughs> and then they taught, and then they, they addressed the rumor about a secret child that she was supposed to have with James DeBarge, which is false as well. They, they dispelled that myth also. No, her eldest sister, Rebe, did not raise a secret love child on her behalf. There was no secret child as well as she talked about. Now, they they addressed the, um, um, oh, she talked about being in her brother's shadow as well, Michael Jackson, um, the greatest pop entertainer, greatest entertainer, probably greatest entertainer in the history of the world. Uh, they dealt with that also. Now, they, they talked about the uh, Super Bowl. And there was a, let me see, I, I was looking at a couple articles from CNN also today. Um, dealing with the Super Bowl. Now, they talked about the Super Bowl in part two. So there is a, um, um, let's see here. There is a, there's one from, um, It's another article from Essence that deals with part two, night two, I should say, night two. Let's look at this here. Because she talks about uh, the Super Bowl, 2004. And uh, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis comment on this as well. I think it was Terry Lewis that talked about this. Um, and they dealt with the, the allegations that she she uh the wardrobe malfunction was on purpose and in nonsense like this it's like okay so it, it, i think it's important for people to understand something about the super bowl um there's about a hundred million people who watch the super bowl the super bowl is the largest uh one day sporting event based upon uh viewership the largest one day sporting event okay so when you have the Super Bowl halftime show, that's something that's huge. There's marketing that takes place usually leading up to the Super Bowl halftime show. Their commercials usually ran. There's press on it. Uh, we know social media back in 2004. I mean, keep in mind, YouTube didn't exist till uh, uh, YouTube didn't exist till 2005. So social media in 2004 was nowhere where it is now. Okay, you didn't have Instagram 2004. You didn't have Twitter. Twitter is created, Twitter is founded about 2010. Um, YouTube comes into existence in 2005. So you have more reliance on traditional media. Now, if you're the halftime, if you're the Super Bowl halftime act, you got about 100 million people watching and then you're Janet Jackson, one of the most popular entertainers in the world. This is after Rhythm Nation. So why would you, if you already have 100 million people watching you, why would you have, why would you have to pull a stunt that's going to last for a second and a half to promote yourself, and you already have 100 million people watching you at the Super Bowl halftime show? And then the next morning on all the morning shows across the country, everything from Good Morning America to 
to the Today Show, all the morning radio shows, all that, all of that. They're going to already be talking about your performance, talking about the Super Bowl, talking about the Super Bowl halftime performance. There's going to be articles written on all this stuff. That's already going to happen. Why would you have to do a stunt that's going to last for a second and a half to promote yourself and you already have 100 million people watching you and you're going to have um, already press all across the country? Doesn't, doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. So this is something that they addressed in um, night two. And I want to go to this here. And and one of the things, you know, I remember when this happened at the time, she was disinvited from the Grammys because of this. Um, and Justin Timberlake was given a pass. But it's like the black woman, she was the one that was ostracized. She was the one that was um, chastised. She was the one that was penalized. Uh, Let me see here. I'm going to see if I can find this here. Okay, they talked about her on, um, they talked about her on Good Times. We all remember her as Penny on Good Times, but I did not know that she had to bind her chest. She was um, um, going through puberty and uh, she was developing, you know, breasts. So one of the things that we found out is that she revealed that she was physically bound to cover her burgeoning chest as a child on the set of Good Times. The experience combined with criticism from lovers and well-meaning teasing from her brothers added to body issues that haunted Janet Jackson throughout her adult life. This is something that we found out here. Okay. We all remember and love her as Penny on, on good times, but I didn't know that um, what happened on good times led to body, partly contributed to body issues that she did, uh, suffer from later in life. Now, okay. So then they talked about, I don't even I don't even call it Nipplegate. It, it it wasn't that big of a deal. It was an accident. It wasn't that big of a deal. Okay. Uh, <laughs> there was a article from let's see Yahoo News picked up one that dealt with this specifically. I want to go to I want to go to that one here. See so we can find that one from Yahoo. Uh, yeah. Okay. So this this piece here from uh, Yahoo News from picked up from the Los Angeles Times. We'll look at this also, but I want to look at this. Essence did a good job here. Uh, there's a good article. I looked at a number of different articles here, preparing information for this segment of the show. Uh, the Today Show has a good one as well, uh, 17 Shocking Revelations from Night 2 of Janet Jackson's Explosive Documentary. We'll probably talk some more about this on uh, tomorrow's show because I have other topics I want to get to today. There was so much uh, that was in the documentary. But if we look at this piece here from Essence, and, uh, okay, this is a picture here from Super Bowl. 
She advised Justin Timberlake against making a statement after the 2004 Super Bowl. The public has dragged um, Justin Timberlake for issuing a belated statement apologizing for not standing by Janet Jackson, but she revealed that she okayed his inaction. She revealed that she okayed his inaction. She says she told him she didn't want any drama for him after the controversial Super Bowl appearance. Quote, they're aiming this at me, uh, she recalled, telling him, if I, if I were you, I wouldn't say anything. If I were you, I wouldn't say anything. But still, she shouldn't have been ostracized. I mean, this is this is how they treat African-American women. And, and all you got to do is look at the attacks. And we'll talk about this on tomorrow's show. Look at the attacks on African-American women because Joe Biden is going to nominate an African-American woman to the U.S. Supreme Court. Look at the right. Look at criticism from a lot of Republicans calling it affirmative action, uh, saying he's racializing this, things like this. There's never been over 118 U.S. Supreme Court justices. There's never been an African-American woman nominated. That sounds like affirmative action for white men to me. Uh there's been over 118 Supreme Court justices, with the exception of about, I think, six. All of them, all of them have been white men. That, that sounds like affirmative action for white men. So then you have somebody who says it's time to have an African-American woman as Supreme Court justice, I'm going to nominate that. Now, all of a sudden, it's a problem. Now, this article is a little old. It's from 2018. This is before Amy Coney Barrett, of course, white woman. Donald Trump said he's going to put a woman on the Supreme Court. Wasn't a problem. We all knew it was a white woman. Donald Trump said he was going to nominate a woman to the Supreme Court. We all knew it was going to be a white woman. We knew it wasn't going to be an African-American woman. Of the 113 Supreme Court justices, in the U.S. in U.S. history, all but six have been white men. Okay, uh, so at the time, uh, 2018. At the time, is 100. It was 113, but we know uh, three more have been added. Uh, we know that. Uh, let me see. This 2018. Okay, I think I think that was after um, Kavanaugh. Let's see. In July. Announced his nominees, just Kavanaugh, if confirmed, he would be, yeah. So this is before Kavanaugh. So it's uh, out of a, about 116 Supreme Court justices, all except six have been white men since, since 1790, since the Supreme Court was convened in 1790. That, that sounds like affirmative action for white men. That sounds like affirmative action for white men protecting the Supreme Court for white men. So we'll talk about this some more tomorrow show. Uh, but I want to go to this piece here from Yahoo News. Janet Jackson says she and Justin Timberlake have moved on from Super Bowl scandal. 
January 30th, 2022. This is picked up from the Los Angeles Times. Uh, Janet Jackson and Justin Timberlake have moved on from the 2004 Super Bowl uh, scandal, according to the Rhythm Nation hitmaker. And she wants the public to move on, too. She wants the public to move on, too. In the four-part, uh, the fourth part of, of her eponymous documentary, released Saturday, January 29th, on Lifetime, Janet Jackson opened up about the fallout from the 2004 halftime show, during which Justin Timberlake uh, accidentally exposed her breast by tearing away a piece of her costume. After discussing the toll the incident took on her mental health and career at length, Janet Jackson set the record straight about her relationship with Justin Timberlake in a video message filmed this year in Miami. And she said, honestly, this whole thing was blown way out of proportion. Uh, She says in the recent footage, uh, she said it was an accident that should not have happened, but everyone is looking for someone to blame. Everyone is looking for someone to blame, and that's got to stop. Justin and I are very good friends, and we will always be very good friends. We spoke just a few days ago, and he and, he and I have moved on, and it is time for everyone else to do the same, end quote. Now, last year, Justin Timberlake publicly apologized to Uh, Janet Jackson, after the FX documentary Framing Britney Spears, Framing Britney Spears, landed him in hot water. In the wake of the uh, documentary's release, many accused uh, Justin Timberlake of mistreating his ex-girlfriend, Britney Spears, as well as Janet Jackson during their shared time in the limelight. Okay, so we know Janet Jackson shouldered most of the blame and negative consequences, like she was uninvited from the Grammys, while Justin Timberlake's career continued to flourish. He's like, wait a second, they were both on the stage at the same time. I said, you know, because some of us are sitting back looking at this and like, wait, hold on, man, wait a second. This, this is all over something that happened for a second and a half? All this, all this outrage? That once again, many of us said back then, it was, a, dude, it was an accident. I mean, she doesn't have to do something like that to get publicity. You already got 100 million people watching you at the Super Bowl halftime show. You don't have to do something like that to gain publicity. I mean, maybe if it was somebody, I mean, you know, maybe if it was somebody that hadn't won any Grammys or hadn't won any awards and nobody knew who they were or something like that, then, you know, it's a a new artist on stage with somebody like a Nelly and something like that happens, you make that argument. But Janet Jackson? This is after the Rhythm after the Rhythm Nation tour? So Janet Jackson showed her most of the blame and negative consequences while Justin Timberlake's career continued to flourish. That year, for example, the Recording Academy banned Janet Jackson from attending the Grammy Awards, but invited Justin Timberlake to perform at the ceremony. They banned her from attending. They said she couldn't sit her black ass at the Grammy Awards. 
They didn't ban her from performing. I want want people to just understand the stupidity of this and, and just the hypocrisy of this. Now, if they treat an African-American woman like Janet Jackson like this, who's a multimillionaire, then how do they treat the average African-American woman? If they, if they treated an African-American woman like Janet Jackson, who has sold millions of records at this point, 2004, known internationally, they treat her like that? Then... You look at how some of these Republicans are going crazy just over President Joe Biden announcing he's going to nominate an African-American woman to the U.S. Supreme Court. He ain't say who yet. Just the threat got some of these Republicans running scared, running, going crazy and saying, oh, oh, it's affirmative action, things like this. But. White people have had affirmative white people had affirmative action for two hundred and forty six years. It was called slavery. So the Recording Academy banned Janet Jackson from attending the Grammy Awards. They didn't ban her from performing. They said she couldn't come and sit her ass there and watch. But they invited Justin Timberlake to perform at the ceremony. I specifically want to apologize to Britney Spears and Janet Jackson, both individually, because I care for and respect these women, and I know I failed, Uh, Justin Timberlake said in February 2021 in a statement. The industry is flawed. It's men, especially white men, up for success. At least he he got it right. Yeah, it's mainly white men. It's designed this way as, as a man in a privileged position. I have to be vocal about this. Well, you got it halfway right. You should should say as a white man in a privileged position, you have to be vocal about this. He said, because of my ignorance, I didn't recognize it for all that it was while it was happening in my own life. But I do not want to ever benefit from others being pulled down again, end quote. So the Lifetime uh, docuseries also reveals that Justin Timberlake asked uh, Janet Jackson to guest star in his 2018 Super Bowl performance, but um, Janet Jackson declined. So so he asked her. So I don't know. I I don't remember hearing about this before, but he asked her to perform in his 2018 Super Bowl performance, but Janet Jackson declined. The pair of recording artists first met when Justin Timberlake's former boy band NSYNC opened for Janet Jackson on tour in 1998. So read this piece here. This is originally from the Los Angeles Times. It's a, it's a good article um, by uh, Christy Karras. Uh, Janet Jackson says she and Timberlake have moved on from Super Bowl scandal. When we look at this, right? And we look at the treatment of so, – so you have to come back to this. You, you have to come back to this question. If the Grammys, the Recording Academy, if white people treat an African-American woman who's a multimillionaire 
sold millions of records, made white people hundreds of millions of dollars, and she's known internationally, if they treated her like that, how do they treat the average African-American woman? All right. So check out these articles. We'll talk about talk talk about this some more tomorrow's show. How's everybody doing? Calling numbers is uh nine one four three three eight thirteen seventy five is the call in number if you have a question or comment. We have a special number for today because we're not on uh nine ten AM Superstation WFDF. We'll be on tomorrow. Nine one four three three eight thirteen seventy five is the call in number. If you have a question or comment, you have a brief question or comment. We don't have time for dissertations and manifestos. Press the number one key to put you in queue so we can bring you on the air. I'm going to go to this next story here in just a second. This deals with African-American farmers. This deals with economics. And also, Janet, we know Janet Jackson lost a lot of money behind what happened at the Super Bowl, how she was ostracized. We saw the attacks on Michael Jackson. One of the things they dealt with was the attacks on Michael Jackson and the um, – allegations of, of molesting children and all different types of things like that. And she said, Michael, you know, wouldn't do anything like that. Um, so check out, read these, check out these articles. Now, I want to go to this next story here, just a second. Um, I want to remind you, if you want me to do a presentation for your group or organization, email me at show at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, show at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We know African American History Month uh, is coming up in the month of February. I can do virtual presentations, in-person presentations, in-state, out-of-state. Let me know. So visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We have the information there. Um, If you want to advertise with the African History Network, email us at AHNShow at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Our current promotion, buy one month, get two months free. And we have three new advertising packages to help you promote your African-American-owned business, okay? Uh, register for the online classes I teach on Saturdays and Sundays. Uh, class number one, class number one, we're kicking this off for African-American History Month. You don't want to miss this. Register now. Class number one of ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa. Kemet won the original names for Egypt. Starts up Saturday, February 5th, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. This is a 10-week online course I teach. I do a PowerPoint presentation. We have book references, articles, video clips, all of that, guest speakers. So this class is going to blow you away. We deal with thousands of years of history and what leads up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. When we deal with the transatlantic slave trade, we can't start um, studying our history in slavery. We have to deal with thousands of years of history and what leads up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place, okay? We deal with the uh, African presence in the Americas, also going back tens of thousands of years, especially dealing with the Khoisan, who uh, Dr. David M. Hotep deals with in his book, The First Americans Were Africans, Documented Evidence. Okay, so as soon as you register, you can start. Uh, we have some bonus content you can watch, and the um, my 15 uh, lecture bundle pack, uh, the Michael M. Hotep uh, 15 uh, lecture bundle pack that we have on our website. You're going to get that as a bonus in a digital format. You'll get that as a bonus in digital format when you register for this online course. It's on sale right now, $80, regularly $130. 
And even after the class is over with, you still have full access to the class. You can watch it. We just posted the link here, and it's at, and it's at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. And then on Sundays, starting February 6, 2022, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I'll be teaching the second online class that I teach, 10-week online course, From the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. So this second class, this basically picks up where the uh, first class leads off. And we start um, in uh, 1830 with the uh, Louisiana Purchase, okay? And uh, we deal with the Haitian Revolution, and we deal with what leads up to the transatlantic slave trade. Sorry, we deal with what leads up to the Civil War taking place. And then we deal with 1861, 1865, and then Reconstruction. And uh, we deal with Jim Crow era, uh, World War One, World War Two, Great Migration, uh, Civil Rights Movement, Black Power Movement. Okay. So this class is on sale, $80, regularly $130. As a bonus, you're going to get my six lecture bundle pack, Black Migration 1619 to 2019. You're going to get that as a bonus with this as well. That's a, at least a $60 value. Okay, so you can register for that at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. And uh, if you register for my classes in the past, email me at AHNShow at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We'll give you a discount on these new classes also. Okay, I'll check the records. If you register for my online classes in the past, we're going to give you a discount on these new classes. All right, so I want to go to this next story here. I was on Roller Martin Unfiltered. I'm a panelist on Roller Martin Unfiltered each Friday, usually each Friday. And even before I was on Roland Show, you know, I've been talking about the plight of African-American farmers. And uh, we dealt with the African-American farmers who were suing a soybean company, who were suing the Stein Seed Company because they alleged they were, uh, sold uh, fake soybeans. This is a few years ago. Um, and we've been talking about, okay, we'll go to the phone lines in just a second there. Call in 313, just stand by. We'll come to you in just a second. Uh, we've been talking about um, uh, African-American farmers and their uh, the $4 billion in loan forgiveness, debt forgiveness, that's in the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan for African-American farmers and Latino farmers, things like this, and how that's being held up in court because white farmers are suing, saying that they're being discriminated against because they can't take advantage of the loan forgiveness. Well, John Boyd, who's the president of the National Black Farmers uh, Association, He's calling out Pepsi, PepsiCo, Pepsi, Frito-Lay, okay? He's calling out Pepsi, and he's saying that they're backing out of a verbal agreement to give contracts to grow potatoes and other contracts to African-American farmers, okay, to African-American farmers. And this is something huge, and I, I had not heard about this issue here uh, with African-American farmers. So we're going to go to this in just a second. Uh, I want to go to the phone lines here because we have this caller here from the 313 holding. So I want to go to the phone lines here. Um, 
just a second here. I'm running everything tonight. Okay, let's go to the phone lines. Let's bring this caller on just a second here. Let me flip back over on Blog Talk Radio. Okay, caller in the 313. Welcome to the African History Network show right here uh, tonight on Blog Talk Radio and our social media platforms. Uh, you're on the air. Call in the 313. Tell us your name, where you're calling from. I'm, uh, are you talking with me right now? Yes. Uh, I'm Fly Girl. I'm calling from Detroit. Fly Girl. Oh, okay, okay. Did you have a question or comment, Fly Girl? I know you're watching us yes, on social I media. Yes, I do. Um, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I've been following the nomination of the black woman uh, mm-hmm. that Biden is is going to choose. Mm-hmm. Supreme Court, U.S. Supreme Court. U.S. Supreme Court. I, and as a black woman myself, I'm educated. Mm-hmm. I got my master's degree. I got all this education. Mm-hmm. I am very, very. The, the, the earlier comments I've been, I've been. Have not been good from some of these woke black people out here, and I am very, very <laughs> disappointed with that. Okay, when you say woke black people, can you give us some examples of, of what you're talking about? You say woke black people, like who, uh, who are you talking about? What did they say? You know, they're saying that if this person gets nominated, she won't be able to do this, and that's not going to change the condition for black people. And, you know, the police doing things to black people and the same type of comments. Soon as somebody who's educated or get nominated for something, everybody wants them to solve every problem in the black community mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, or it's just a symbolism. There's no substance to anything. It's the same type of comments you tend to get. And much of this is just attack on black women in general. Mm-hmm. I am not saying everyone is doing this, but some of the earlier comments that I've been seeing is not very good. And some of it is just outright ne- negative. Right. And, well, 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 let, me, let me just comment on that and I'll let you finish. What uh, yes. a lot of people don't understand is that uh, the judicial branch of the federal government interprets law from the legislative branch of the federal government. The judicial branch of the federal government, federal courts, federal court of appeals, U.S. Supreme Court, rules on cases dealing with uh, civil asset forfeiture. They deal with, they rule on cases dealing with policing. They they rule on cases dealing with voting rights, like the uh, 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 voter, uh, like the voting rights bill, like the, um, voter legislation in Arizona. So they don't understand the role that the courts play. The first thing they should do is read the U.S. Constitution. They don't understand the role that the courts play. And if this was not significant, uh, you wouldn't have this backlash that just this, just this announcement is getting from the right wing, from, from a lot of Republicans. Because there's already a fear of the browning of America and this is why uh, Republicans worked so hard to, one, take control of the U.S. Senate in 2014 so they can block President Obama's federal court nominations and any Supreme Court nominations. Two, why they worked so hard to get Donald Trump elected, even though for many of them, Donald Trump wasn't their first, third, first, second, third, fourth, or fifth pick. But go back to 2016, many Republicans said, 
This election is about the U.S. Supreme Court. This is about the federal judges. This is about overturning Roe versus Wade because they want to control the federal bench for the next 35, 40 years or more because those are lifetime appointments. So this is, this is significant. It's not going to change everything, but, this, but you have to understand that U.S. Supreme Court rules on legislation and challenges to legislation that's uh, passed in the, in the uh, uh, legislative branch of the federal government, and the Supreme Court also rules on challenges to executive orders coming from the White House as well. Go, go ahead and finish your point. Well, I understand, look, I understand those, you know, those issues. I think that we have so many of these people who get a platform who doesn't understand that process. Right. That it, that it does make a difference because all the laws, all the rulings come from the Supreme Court. They interpret that. Federal and, Court, Federal uh, Court of Appeals, U.S. Supreme Court. Right, right, right. So it does influence our lives. Oh, absolutely. You know, it does absolutely. influence that. And, uh, you know, this was uh, presented to Obama, but Obama didn't go through with this. So now mm-hmm. it's in the he, hands he nominated, of Biden. He, he nominated uh, African American to the federal bench, but not to the U.S. Right. Supreme Court. Well, not to right, not to the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. So now uh, Biden is doing this because he, he, you know there's been pressure on him to to do this, and now he's well, going through well, with this. Well, well, no, no, let's, let's go back. This was a campaign promise he made on the debate stage. Right, right. He did. He did. Yeah, he, 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 he right. did a campaign promise he made on the debate stage. Representative James Clyburn was interviewed on MSNBC a couple of days ago. He he urged he he urged then candidate Biden to say it publicly on the debate stage. Right, right. Okay, so right. here, so now that Justice Breyer has announced that he's retiring, by Biden is. Uh, formally announced when he was he was there with uh uh justice Breyer with the formal announcement that Breyer was retiring he formally announced he was going to nominate an african-american woman to the supreme court as he previously said he would do yes i i understand that but why is it now we're getting uh these these black people who are let's say on youtube saying these things that i'm i'm reading things that i'm i'm hearing is mm-hmm. it based don't understand the, the the process themselves too. They don't understand the process, and that's part of their platform. That's how they make money. They don't understand the process. Like you got somebody here saying having a black president didn't change much when it comes to black people being killed by police. The majority of control over policing is not the federal level; it's at the state level. This is what happens when people don't understand the Tenth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution because they haven't read the U.S. Constitution and they don't understand law. The, but but what President but President Obama did do is 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 uh under the uh, uh under his two attorney generals there were more investigations into the patterns and practices of police departments than any previous uh a police in the previous administration there were about 24 25 investigations into police departments that led to 14 or 15 consent decrees when president trump became president because people don't study any of this stuff and don't understand 
uh, the Department of Justice. You need to go to justice.gov, the official website of the Department of Justice, to do some research. Trump became president through the Electoral College because he lost elect- because he lost the popular vote. The investigations into the patterns and practices of police departments stopped. There was only one in four years under Trump. There have been three announced in the first year under uh, uh, Merrick Garland. But uh, oh, yeah. Jeff, Sessions, Jeff Sessions, who was Donald Trump's first attorney general, this shows you how mm-hmm. a lot of people on social media have no clue what they're talking about. Jeff Sessions, oh. is, is, it was against criminal justice reform. One of the fir- and he was against increased control over policing. One of the first things Jeff Sessions did was said they were going to back off of these investigations into the police department. This is one of the first things Jeff Sessions did. This was in 2017 when he became attorney general. So this is, see, most of these people talking, most of these people talking are not, don't know any of this. That's why they can't explain any of this. This is what I study. Okay. And, and, and I, I agree. People, and I agree with you. I agree with that, that mm-hmm. too many of these people, they have followers, do not do any research, and they do not intend to do anything because they have an agenda. That's why too often the black community is been misinformed because of people, you know, that, you know, have a platform of followers. They get a lot of misinformation. Right. Right. All right, fly girl. Oh, go, go ahead with your last thing. And then call, you can I was back just going to say, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I will just say I appreciate what you've done. I've been following you, and I do okay. watch you on Roland Martin, and I want to thank you for uh, having, for listening to me. Okay. All right. Thanks. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Oh, no problem. Bye-bye. Okay. Oh, thanks. And what, what people have to understand is the reversal that took place under the Jeff Sessions and uh, – um, William Barr, Department of Justice. How you had a reversal of the policy, for, for instance. Nobody's going to, a lot of these people comment on social media. I'm not telling you this because they don't study this. 2013, under Eric Holder, they instituted the Smart On Crime Police, the Smart On uh, uh, Smart On. Uh, crime uh, policing policy. What they did was they backed off of charging low-level nonviolent drug offenders with the harshest sentences. This was under Attorney General, General Eric Holder, nominated by President Barack Obama. What did Jeff Sessions do when he became Attorney General under Trump? He reversed that. Did you know that the U.S. prison population in December 2015 dropped to its lowest point in like 20 years under President Obama? When I see simple Simon-ass people on social media post stuff like this, it's better to remain silent and have people think that you are a fool than to open up your mouth and remove all doubt. This is what happens when you don't do research. So let's look at this, because I've done an entire, I've done, 2016, I did a, um, a lecture dealing with the history of the war on drugs going back to June 17, 1971, Richard Nixon declaring his war on drugs. This is how people don't understand politics is the legal distribution 
a scarce wealth pond resources and the writing of laws, statutes, ordinances, amendments, and treaties, the adoption, interpretation, and enforcement, and don't understand the role of the Department of Justice, don't understand the role of the executive branch of the federal government, the White House, the president, don't understand the role of the legislative branch of the federal government, the, the U.S. House of Representatives, and, and the Senate. But the first thing you have to do is read the U.S. Constitution because the majority of, the, the majority of control over policing is at the state and local level. But that doesn't mean there's not a role for the federal government to play. One of the things that Jeff Sessions, uh, one of the things that Jeff Sessions did when he became uh, Attorney General, he tried to back out of the consent decrees with the Chicago Department and the, and the Baltimore Police Department that the Obama administration uh, entered into. Let me see. Let me find. Uh, I want to pull up this article here. Now, something else that we saw that happened when Trump became president, under the, under the Obama administration in 2016, they announced that they were not going to renew, um, privatize, they were not going to renew um, contracts with privatized prisons. Everybody want to talk about privatized prisons. Under, under the Obama administration, they said they were not going to renew those contracts. The day that announcement came out, the stock price of CoreCivic, which used to be called Corrections Corporation of America and Geo Group, two of the largest owner-operators of privatized prisons, took a huge dip the day that announcement came out. So then, during the 2016 presidential campaign, the same people who run their miles on social media with this nonsense don't tell you that Core Civic and Geo Group donated almost $600,000 to Donald Trump's 2016 campaign. Then, when Trump became president, what did Jeff Sessions do? Jeff Sessions rescinded that, uh, that, that policy from the Obama administration, and they renewed contracts with privatized prisons. And you think elections don't have consequences. You're a dumbass. Jeff Sessions rolls back Obama-era drug sentence and reforms. This is the type of research I do. Go, go, go watch the lecture that I did in, I think it was 2017, um, African-American resistance in the era of Donald Trump, voter suppression, reparations, and how elections have consequences. Where I go break down all this stuff. And I was explaining this during the, uh, during the presidential election in 2016, warning people about Donald Trump, and they thought this was just about Trump versus Hillary. I'm like, no, this is about the trajectory of the country for the next 20, 30 years. You know what's at stake? Jeff Sessions, Donald Trump's first attorney general, rolls back Obama-era drug sentencing reforms. The attorney general says a harsher approach is moral and just. This is just how elections have consequences. Jeff Sessions, now, if you don't know who Jeff Sessions is, senator from Alabama, Jeff Sessions in 1986, Jefferson Beauregard Sessions III, okay, PGT Beauregard, one of the heroes of the Confederacy, and Jefferson Davis, who was the president of the Confederacy. That's who he's named after. In 1986, do you realize Jeff Sessions was up for a federal judgeship, and he was deemed too racist to be a federal judge, but Donald Trump nominated him as his attorney general? 
And your dumb ass think that elections don't have consequences? Attorney General Jeff Sessions instructed federal prosecutors this week to take the most aggressive approach possible against federal criminal defendants. Now, he meant he didn't mean black criminal defendants. He just meant white criminal defendants. Okay, see this. They were excluding this. See, this policy excluded black criminal defendants. Because this policy didn't say black or African-American, therefore it didn't apply to us. It just applies to white people. That's that simple Simon-ass logic that you get from people on YouTube. Attorney General Jeff Sessions instructed federal prosecutors this week to take the most aggressive approach possible against federal criminal defendants. The policy change will result in lengthier prison sentences for drug offenders and likely reverse a recent drop in the federal prison population that happened under the Obama administration because dumbass people don't read. In a memo dated May 10th, 2017, in a memo dated May 10th, Jeff Sessions wrote federal prosecutors, quote, should charge and pursue the most serious readily provable offense, end quote, calling that a, quote, core principle, end quote, of the Justice Department's charging and sentencing policy under Donald Trump, because Jeff Sessions, everybody knew Jeff Sessions was against criminal justice reform. Jeff Sessions was a friend of the police. He was against holding police accountable. This is why when he became a, well, this, first of all, this is what, this is why Trump nominated him. Trump wasn't for no damn criminal justice reform. Trump ran on the platform of law and order and said it numerous times. He ran on the platform of law and order, which was a throwback to Richard Nixon in 1968, who ran on the platform of law and order. And Richard Nixon was a backlash to the, to the civil rights movement, the black power movement, the rebellions taking place all across the country. He was a backlash to affirmative action. He was a backlash to any perceived gains that African-Americans were making from the civil rights movement and the black power movement. And Donald Trump was a throwback to that. But because people don't understand history, they didn't realize, they didn't see the parallels and realize Trump needed to be stopped. This is what I was talking about on this show. In 2016, and when I was doing Roland Martin's nasty syndicated radio show in 2016, when I was doing my nasty syndicated radio show, and when I was on 9, 10 a.m. Superstation as well, 2016, I was warning people about what was going to happen. People didn't want to listen. If you understood history, you, you saw Trump coming and realized we needed to stop him. Too many of our people are ignorant of history. The new policy replaces the approach of the Justice Department during the Obama administration under former Attorney Generals Eric Holder and Loretta Lynch. This is reversing the policies because under the Obama, Obama administration, they backed off of charging the low-level nonviolent drug, uh, uh, drug offenders with the harshest, longest sentences. Jeff Sessions said, oh, no, 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 no. We're going after them. They gave federal prosecutors under the Obama administration, they gave federal prosecutors more leeway to decide when it was appropriate to charge crimes 
that trigger mandatory minimums, which automatically result in set prisons in set prison terms. This is Jefferson Borgar Sessions the third, your friend, not mine. Attorney General Jeff Sessions memorandum nixes a 2010 Obama administration memo, which encouraged federal prosecutors to make decisions on charging plea agreements and sentencing recommendations. Jeff Sessions reversed all that. He said, oh, no, we ain't doing that. This policy affirms our responsibility to enforce the law is moral and just and produces consistency, Jeff Sessions wrote in a new memo. The policy fully utilizes the tools Congress has given us. By definition, the most serious offenses are those that carry the most substantial guideline sentence, including mandatory minimum sentences. Read the rest of this article here. This is from 2017. We still haven't learned. This is from 2017. People still haven't learned. If you watch this show, you know this. I'm going to post this link here. Go read this. So then, um, let's look at this one here from the Washington Post. Because people don't think elections have consequences. They think this is just about a president. Oh, President Obama ain't do this, didn't do that. Your dumb ass don't read. That's why. Uh, how Jeff Sessions wants to bring back the war on drugs. Hmm. If you got to bring it back, doesn't that mean it was leaving in the first place? Did you know the war on drugs was winding down under the Obama administration and it ramped back up under the Trump administration? How Jeff Sessions wants to bring back the war on drugs. April 8th, 2017. Trump took the oath of office January 20th, 2017. When the Obama administration launched a sweeping policy to reduce harsh prison sentences for nonviolent drug offenders. Rare reviews, rave reviews, came, acro- came from across the political spectrum. Those are people that actually read. Civil rights groups and the Koch brothers praised President Obama for his efforts, saying he was making the criminal justice system more humane. But there was... But there was one person who watched these developments with horror, with some horror. Stephen H. Cook, a former street cop who became a federal prosecutor based in Knoxville, Tennessee, saw nothing wrong with how the system worked. Not the life sentences, not the life sentences for drug charges, not the huge growth of the prison population. And he went everywhere. Bill O'Reilly's show on Fox News, congressional hearings, public panels to spread a different gospel. Quote, the federal criminal justice system simply is not broken. In fact, it's working exactly as designed, Cook said at a criminal justice panel at the Washington Post last year. The Obama administration largely ignored Cook, who was then president of the National Association of Assistant U.S. Attorneys, but he won't be overlooked anymore. Attorney General Jeff Sessions has brought Cook into his inner circle as the Justice Department, at the Justice Department, appointing him to be one of his top lieutenants to help undo, to help undo 
the criminal justice policies of Obama and former Attorney General Eric Holder, as Jeff Sessions has traveled to different cities to preach his tough-on-crime philosophy, Cook has been at his side. See, these people playing, playing grandmaster-level chess. And you got many of our people running around playing beginner's checkers and don't even understand all the rules to checkers. Getting wiped off the political chessboard. The two men eager are eager to bring back the national crime strategy of the 1980s and 90s from the peak of the drug war, an approach that have fallen out of favor in recent years as minority communities grapple with the effects of mass incarceration. But you think elections don't have consequences. Read this, read this article here. I've got tons of them. This is the type of research I do. I've got tons of this stuff. But we don't have tons of time, so let's move on. Um, I'm going to show you this slide here. Then we're going to get to the story about the black farmers. Because I just find it interesting when these people on social media have diarrhea of the mouth and constipation, constipation of the brain don't do research. I just find it very interesting. Um, let's see here. African-American resistance in the era of Donald Trump, voter suppression, and reparations, how elections have consequences. May 27, 2017. Uh-huh. I just want to show you something. Most, most people are not familiar with this. And let's see, we're going to go to uh, we're going to go to the black farmer story here in just a second. Calling number is 914-338-1375. 914-338-1375. is the calling number if you have a quick question or comment. We're going to go to the black farmers here in just a second because I want you, this is some more information that we don't know about, but this is a presentation I did in 2017 to 2018. And it's on, we have it at our website on DVD. The thing is, it's on digital download format also. I'm going to, you know, when you register for my online classes, I'm going to include this lecture. Um, You're going to get that get this lecture free when you register for my online classes because this information right here will blow people away. If we knew this in um this is stuff I was talking about on the radio in twenty seven in, in uh in twenty sixteen when I was on nine ten AM and when I was on uh, Wake Up with Steve Hood, the morning show. Steve Hood we know passed away last year, twenty twenty one. My friend Steve Hood who put me on uh on the radio on nine ten AM. That's how I got my show. Um, this right here, let's see, where, where is that? Did, uh, I want to go to, is just sessions and, um, which one is that? Uh, I'll be there. where is it? Oh, is that it? No, that's dealing with voter suppression in North Carolina. That's not what I want. That's dealing with voter suppression from the Supreme Court in Ohio, but Supreme Court don't matter. 
for this president to Ohio, uh, Supreme Court ensures thousands of Ohio ballots will be thrown out for small errors. But um, the U.S. Supreme Court, but see, Supreme Court don't matter. That's why they work to just make it all white men on the Supreme Court since 1790, almost. Uh, but, but see, it, it, that doesn't matter. Okay. Federal lawsuits filed in five states after African-American voters purged from voter from registration rolls targeted for intimidation by the Trump campaign. But this, see, that, 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 don't, that don't matter. Uh, where's the one I want? Oh, this right here. Is this the, is this the slide I want? Well, this is the article. This is the story from NBC News about what we just talked about, what I showed you from uh, Huffington Post. A.G. Jeff Sessions redeclares the war on drugs. Attorney General Jeff Sessions instructed federal prosecutors on Friday, May 12, 2017, to take the most aggressive approach possible against federal criminal defendants for low-level drug offenses. He ordered them to stop seeking leniency for low-level drug offenders and to set seeking and to start seeking the toughest possible penalties. That's what federal authorities used to used to do when the war on drugs fueled the passage of mandatory minimum sentencing laws. All right, now this uh, so you can read this article here. This is from um, NBC News. Attorney General Jeff Sessions charts course back to long drug sentences, but people don't understand how elections have consequences. You realize there were over 4,000 positions that Donald Trump had to fill in his administration? This ain't about one person versus another person. You ever read the U.S. Constitution? Go to LOC.gov, Library of Congress website, or Archives.gov, National Archives. But under former President Barack Obama, the Justice Department tried to rein in the use of those statutes, which advocates say were used disproportionately against minorities and led to massive prison overcrowding. The policy change will result in lengthier prison sentences for low-level drug offenders and likely reverse a recent drop in the federal prison population. That happened under the recent drop happened under the Obama administration. Newsweek.com, the U.S. prison population exceeded one and a half million in 2015. It dropped to its lowest point in 20 years in December 2015. The U.S. prison population dropped to uh, uh, U.S. prison population fell the most in almost four decades to 1.53 million, resulting in the lowest rate of incarceration in a generation. This was under President Obama. The Department of Justice said on Thursday, the drop has been driven. The drop has been driven by changes in federal and state correction policies that include drug treatment programs and the sentencing of fewer nonviolent drug offenders to federal prisons. The department said in its year-end report on prison populations. This is Newsweek.com. The U.S. prison population exceeded one and a half million in 2015. But it dropped to its lowest point in 20 years in December 2015 under the Obama administration because the prison population declined for eight consecutive years under the Obama administration. I'm not sure why people don't talk about this. This is the slide I was looking for. 
Because people, once again, don't understand how elections have consequences. Attorney General Jeff Sessions is against the science. The Republican war on science has come to the U.S. Department of Justice with the decision of Attorney General Jeff Sessions, Jefferson Beauregard Sessions, to eliminate the National Commission on Forensic Sciences, NCFS. You ever heard of the National Commission on Forensic Sciences? This, this, I was talking about, this, is, this is my lecture from 2017, just so people understand. This is my lecture that I did in 2017, a number of times. The commission, the National Commission on Forensic Sciences, was started by President Barack Obama in 2013 in partnership with the National Institute of Standards and Technology, the NIST, at the U.S. Department of Commerce to enhance the practice and improve the reliability of forensic science. The commission includes forensic science service providers on the federal, state, and and local level, research scientists and academics, law enforcement, judges, prosecutors, defense attorneys, and other stakeholders, according to its website. Because this commission was put together to review these different standards because they wanted to make sure that people weren't being convicted based upon faulty science. So this is a com- uh, this is a commission that President Barack Obama started in 2013, the National Commission on Forensic Science, in partnership with the National Institute of Standards and Technology at the U.S. Department of Commerce to enhance the practice and improve the reliability of forensic science. Well, Jeff Sessions, he didn't like that. And people didn't understand what was at stake. Many African-Americans didn't understand what was at stake in the 2016 presidential election. They thought it was just one person versus another person. They didn't understand all these policy changes that would take place and how it would affect African-Americans. And still, most of them still don't, for that matter. The purpose of the NCFS is to ensure the reliability of forensic science so that innocent people are not sent to prison or put to death for crimes that do that they did not commit, but this don't have nothing to do with black people because they don't say black or African American. Hundreds, but more likely thousands of innocent people have been condemned due to junk science and unsound forensic evidence and techniques. The importance of this Obama era initiative was underscored when in 2015, the FBI conducted a review of 3,000 cases involving, involving microscopic hair samples and discovered that its, anal- that, that its analysts provided erroneous testimony 96% of the time and discovered that its analysts provided erroneous testimony 96% of the time. So what did Jeff Sessions do when he became Donald Trump's attorney general? Well, became, he was nominated by Donald Trump to become attorney general. Jeff Sessions disbanded this commission. He said it wasn't necessary. A.G. Sessions' forensic panel helps keep innocent people in prison unnecessarily. 
atlantablackstar.com, April 15, 2017. Go research that. Just so say, well, necessary. we don't need this. We're not necessary. We're going to disband this. Obama put this together. Oh, we can get that stuff out of here. Uh-uh. No, we don't need that. Okay, whatever. Let's go to this next story. Um, we've heard about the plight of African-American farmers. We've talked about that here for a number of years here on this show. And that's not the one I want. I want to go to, uh, we're going to the John Boyd story. Uh, let's pull this up. We talked about this on Friday on Roland Martin Unfiltered. And we spoke with John Boyd. I'm going to let you hear that. Let you hear that interview that we did with John Boyd. I got a chance to ask him a question as well. Okay. We'll go to that here in just a second. Also, forgot to tell you, if you, because we need support. <laughs> if you like this type of information, give us a thumbs up, a heart, a like, whatever, on social media, on the video. You can also support the African History Network, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App. Also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. That helps us stay on the air. Keep broadcasting, pay these bills for all these services that I have to use, uh, keep doing the research, everything, all right? And then we have the information also at our website, uh, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. This is our official Cash App account, dollar sign, the AHN show, do Cash App. Okay, where is it? It's, uh, it's up here. This is our official Cash App account, dollar sign, the AHN show, S-H-O-W. When you go to it, it'll say Michael and show my picture there. This one right here. These other ones are fake African History Network cash app accounts. That's not me. I did not set those up. If you sent money to those, go through cash app and um, you should be able to get your money back. Um, And also, we have the yellow donate button. You can support us through um, PayPal as well, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. And I know through PayPal, you can set up for a recurring donation if you want to as well. All right. So let's go to the story here. Um, So John Boyd of the um, National Black Farmers Association is calling out Pepsi, the soft drink people, and they own Frito-Lay, things like this. Boyd calls out Pepsi for all talk and no contracts for National Black Farmer members. Okay, now this is from a PR Newswire, January 27th, 2022. John Boyd, president of the Black Farmer uh, of the National Black Farmers Association, today called out Pepsi, PepsiCo, for continued discrimination after a year and a half of all talk and no contract following a verbal commitment. Now, Pepsi, the giant food uh, and beverage company, seems to value a positive public image less than profitability. Most recently, most recently, it has added dismissive treatment of African-American farmers to a long list of complaints about its negative environmental impacts, impacts, deforestation, and pesticide use, 
exploitation of water resources and global plastic pollution, according to a Wikipedia report. In addition, Pepsi, which was uh, created in 1960, Pepsi Co, Pepsi Company, Pepsi Co, which was created in 1965 by uh, Pepsi's merging with the Frito-Lay brand, not only has been repeatedly criticized by environmentalists, but health advocates have complained about its high-calorie, poor nutrition products, along with other snack and drink companies. Now, who do you think gets targeted disproportionately during TV shows that we watch for these high-calorie, poor nutrition products? Give you one guess. African-Americans and, and Hispanics, we get disproportionately targeted for this, okay? Now, I'm not beating up on somebody that has a Pepsi every now and then, something like that, or eats Frito-Lays every now and then, you know. But you, you have to start looking. See, my background's in marketing. My degree's in business administration with a major in marketing from Wayne State University. I've been studying history for 30 years. I'm a historian also, but my degree's in business administration. So... When I, I look, when I, the commercials, all this stuff is programming. I understand the programming. So I look at this differently than a lot of other people. This is why you hear me talk about uh, entertainment as programming, because I understand that there ain't no, there's programming. That's messaging in there. Okay? And your thoughts create feelings. Your feelings create actions and behaviors. Your actions and behaviors create results. So you can manipulate people based upon controlling their circumference of awareness and controlling the images and the information that they have. All right, now, public health advocates have complained about its high-calorie, poor nutrition products along with other snack and drink companies. In 2019, a John Hopkins University student group dedicated to food sustainability and human ethics protested the campus dining office's contract with PepsiCo calling on the unit to reject, quote, socially and ecologically unsustainable practices of profit-hungry corporations, end quote. Yet the multi-billion dollar leader in its category seems to regard social responsibility and health standards and environmental concerns as optional values. Now, Pepsi has vowed to uphold commitments to those issues, but has declined to release public information documenting progress on changing company practices. Although Coca-Cola, its main competitor, has bigger sales, Pepsi, PepsiCo, within the North American market, is the largest food and beverage company by net revenue, which was reported at $70 billion in 2020. That's net revenue. That's not gross revenue. PepsiCo is, in the North American market, the largest food and beverage. 
the largest food and beverage company, which reported $70 billion in uh, net income in 2020. Now, those listening on uh, Blog Talk Radio, we're about to run out of time on Blog Talk. So watch us on Facebook, our Facebook fan page, The African History Network, The African History Network, and our YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotep, I-M-H-O-T-E-P. All right. About to run out of time here on um, uh, Blog Talk and visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Those watching on uh, social media platforms, keep watching. All right. Now. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.